This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hi there, this is Mike. And this is Tom. And we're here for a a special episode. I was going to say a very special episode, like an after-school special of Tabletop (laughs) Genesis. This is the one where Mike does drugs and try to intervene. (laughs) Right. This is is our intervention episode. (laughs) So anyway... We are, we were recently, you might have actually heard, guests on a podcast called You, Me, and an Album. And Al Melchior, who was formerly a guest on our The Fugitive episode, the Tony Banks album, he invited us onto his podcast, where the conceit of the, of that podcast is that it's an album that Al is not familiar with, and he brings on people who are very familiar with the album to listen to it and kind of not necessarily convince him of its merits, but just to kind of say, like, this is why I love this album. Al knew that we had, you know, that I had said at some point that Testify was a better album than I thought it was going to be, the Phil Collins album. And so we said, why not come on and do this? So we got, Tom came, became involved and we said, we'll do this as an episode. And I think Al might have been a little surprised when you hear it on the episode coming up that I was not in love with this album, <laughs> but it was something that I was, it's definitely up there in my ranking of Phil Collins albums. Right. And I think I might have said on the episode that I was aware of Al's show, You Mean an Album, and how people would come on and talk about an album that they loved. And Mike said, well, I think Al is inviting us to talk about an album. We're going to talk about Testify. And I kind of did a double take, like, what? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who loves, loves, loves that album? But it's in the Phil Collins canon, and it was worth discussing. It probably wasn't going to be the next Phil Collins solo album we were going to cover. We will be doing another one this year. But it was a fun discussion, and there are a few tracks which are worthy of listening to and talking about, but... As you'll hear in the uh, the episode, uh, we kind of break it down track by track and point out which ones are worth listening to. Yeah, so as a little kind of bonus, if you've already listened to Al's episode on his podcast feed, which we did promo on our Twitter, and did we talk about it on Facebook, I think? I just think? Twitter. Yeah, yeah. we kind of put it out there. And so you might have already heard this, but we're kind of doing our front and back end of this episode where we'll do the Wikipedia entry. We did a poll on our website to kind of get people's favorite track on Testify, and we'll talk about that after the drop. So, But before we get into Al's episode of You, Me, and an Album, Tom, why don't you tell us about what Wikipedia has to say about Testify? Sure, and, and uh, it's very short. With the intro, to, and it's probably not the most flattering of intros for an album that we've read on our show. Testify is the seventh solo studio album by English musician Phil Collins. Released in 2002, the album debuted at number 30 on the American Billboard 200 Albums chart, which was also the album's peak position. Oof. <laughs> it was also the second Phil Collins studio album where no track peaked within the American Top 40 singles chart. 
It was also his lowest charting album in the UK, becoming his only solo effort not to reach the top five. However, all right, there is some silver lining. <laughs> the album achieved success in some countries in continental Europe. Okay. It is <laughs> that, that's damning with faint <laughs> praise right there, I think. It is his second album not to be co-produced by Hugh Padgham, who co-produced Colin's most successful albums. Here's the real silver album. Despite right. the shortage of success the album achieved, his subsequent first final farewell tour proved to be very popular. Yeah, there you go, which was true. Uh, you you mentioned uh, that you saw that tour. I did see that. It was a great show. I really enjoyed it. So, and I think he only did two tracks from this album, which might have been saying something. Right. But I think at that time he was realizing, you know, play what they know, right. do a couple of the popular ones from the new album, and then just go back to your catalog. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, both this and the previous solo album, Dance Into the Light, did not do as well as his previous albums. And I and it kind of makes me wonder in that alternate universe where Phil didn't leave Genesis, how the equivalent of a calling all stations would have done even if Phil was involved. I think they definitely would have toured the United States and things like that. Yes. But it would not have been a invisible touch or even a we can't dance level of album sales at that point because for older acts, the landscape had changed at the time. And I'll go into this a little bit more detail in Al's uh, podcast, but it was, I didn't buy this album until 2010 or so. So I had, was familiar with Can't Stop Loving You from whether it was uh, at advertisement on TV, <laughs> the, that it was for Ford or whatever it Toyota, was. Toyota. Something. Yeah. Or just from on the radio here and there. This was a kind of a blank slate for me. And I, when I heard it in 2010, let's say it was, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. It wasn't an album that was going to change my life in any ways, but the consistency and the sound of it was more, more interesting than I expected it to be. How about you, Tom? What was your general thoughts on this? I was very pleased with it because I don't think I bought Dance Into the Light. Okay. I think that's the one I didn't get, and I wasn't a more than two or three time listener to both sides. So it, right. it had been a while since I'd really given everything to a Phil Collins album, yeah. probably, I don't know, 15 years or so, maybe 20, uh, 17 years, whatever it is, ever since But Seriously, right? which I loved, and that was my first time I saw him on tour. So after not really enjoying both sides or Dancing to the Light, a friend got me tickets to the show. Uh, somehow I got a promotional copy of the album from somewhere. I don't, couldn't tell you where. Were you working in the business at the time? Or, or knew somebody who did sure, or something okay. like that. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. So I definitely gave it more spins than both sides. Uh, but then I put it away for 20 years until we decided to talk about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so with that, we'll actually segue into... Al's episode of You, Me, and an Album, which you can find on his podcast feed. It will give you the information in the show notes or, you know, talk about it at the end here, too, a little bit more about where you can find that. So let's segue into that episode. You are listening to You, Me, and an Album, episode 62. I'm Al Melvin. There's a lot of lyrics on this album about the passing of years and the passing of time. And again, Phil is a 
50-ish year old guy doing this music and maybe thinking this might be maybe I want to kind of slip into this retirement world at this point and spend time with his very young kids at the time. After listening to the whole album, it kind of does set the statement of what you're going to get. Like if you love slow to mid tempo Phil Collins without all those crappy rocking songs that you can air drum to, then this is your cup of tea because that's what every song is. That was Mike Lord and Tom Roche talking about Phil Collins' 2002 album, Testify. Mike and Tom are the co-hosts of the Tabletop Genesis podcast. And while Mike is making his second appearance on Yumi and an album, Tom is paying his first visit here. So Tom and Mike, I'm really glad that uh, you're here. I really appreciate you coming on. And I also really appreciate you sharing the uh, episode with your audience. So welcome to Yumi and an album. Thank you. It's very, very, thank you for having us. And I, I'm happy to return. I, I, I'm very happy and proud to have been the silver medalist guest on uh, the on your podcast as i was the second person to be on here talking about john kale eon what seems like eons ago at this point yeah well it's, it's been more than a year now so you know we're into about the 14th month of this podcast but wow. yeah uh second episode ever uh and yeah. i think now you're i would say the fifth person to make a repeat appearance so all kinds of ground being broken here Excellent. So have you have you developed any further love for John Cale? I just have to ask right off the bat. <laughs> oh, man, this is brutal because I, I haven't. <laughs> I, well, I tell you what, I did an episode, um, I don't know, several months back where I revisited songs that I didn't really quite get the first yes. time around. And I did include uh, one from your episode. So that gave me an opportunity to to grow my love for okay. John Cale a Excellent. little bit. Great to hear. So. Yeah, I've probably said this before, and if, if I haven't said it on here, I know I've, I've written about it in, in the newsletter that I recently started, but every week I usually close up. I say, thank you so much for coming on. You've introduced me to a really cool album. I can't wait to dig into it more. And I always do dig into it more in the post-production, but I, I have the best of intentions to really spend a lot of time. But then, you know, the funny thing happens, which is that I have to start on a new episode since I'm doing this weekly. And exactly. so I've just now got this backlog of, you know, artists and albums to, to check, check out uh, in more in depth. You know, there's worse problems to have, but. What's well, the thought that counts? Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's really all that counts here. So, uh, well, I, I want to give everybody a heads up about what we're doing and, and why we're doing it here. So, uh, I mean, first of all, it's just, it's so cool to have both of you guys on here together. I've been, listening to your podcast for five or six years now, I think, I think I was pretty early on in, you know, uh, becoming a listener, uh, not long after you guys started up. And, uh, as we mentioned, Mike's been on here before you had me as a guest a, a few months back, which was awesome. Yes. Talk about, uh, fugitive by Tony Banks, but, uh, that's how I'm trying to, Oh, so yeah, I, I proposed the idea of us joining forces to do some sort of episode and, I might be getting the timeline wrong now, but somewhere, somehow, uh, Mike, you had said something about testify. Not yeah, it was this was beforehand. We had a conversation somehow, and you had said that I, I said something about dropping out on Phil Collins after both sides. And right. now that I'm I'm thinking out loud here, I think this was when I did the Tony Banks episode with you guys, and we had a, a conversation afterwards, or maybe even on the show, and I talked about not really paying attention to what Phil Collins did after, after both sides. And you said, well, testify is actually a pretty good album. Maybe you should check that out. So then when I thought we should join forces and, and do an episode, that was what I had in mind. I thought that, that, that satisfies, you know, both 
both of our missions, right? Because it gets me to hear an album I'd never listened to before. It keeps you, um, you know, having a new new Genesis related content, which you know, the longer yeah. you go, it's got to be the harder harder it gets. <laughs> yeah, and, and what's exactly well, and what's interesting too is that this, and I know your podcast. I've I haven't listened to every episode, but I've listened to a lot of them. It's often people talking about an album they really love and kind of selling you on it. Yes. I really liked this album. I don't know if I could say I love it, <laughs> but I also think that there's a category of this is better than I expected it to be. And that's what this falls into for me because of the Genesis solo careers. I like Phil, but it's just, I like some of the other ones better. And so this is, this is an album that when I first heard it, maybe in 2010-ish or so, or 2009, it, I didn't hear it upon release. And I kind of dismissed, I didn't even, I knew the one song from the radio, the um, I Can't Stop Loving You, and thought it was fine. But it was, but I didn't dive into it. I didn't even buy it at the time it came out. And so when I finally did hear it, it was a it was a really pleasant surprise. And we should talk more about that later on. But that was my kind of, you know, it was better than I expected it to be, which is a nice thing to happen. <laughs> yeah. OK, well, I think maybe I had the impression that you liked it even a little bit more than that. But, you know, <laughs> well, it, I was I, I was kind of wondering I, why Mike chose it as like the <laughs> album to talk about. But well, uh, now, now that I, now I get the reasoning why. Yeah, but so I will also oh, say, but uh, let me just jump in because I'm going to take this over for a moment and say, <laughs> defend myself and say, every time I've listened to this album, I've liked it more than the last time. If that makes sense. It makes sense. So, Absolutely. so while it's, it is not my favorite Phil Collins album, that would go to Hello, I Must Be Going, which I'm sure you've heard a lot, Al. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the idea of this podcast being also an album that you haven't heard i think this will be a good conversation kind of melding i think my growing appreciation of this album your total introduction to it and tom maybe being somewhere in the middle there so well, that's that's, that's why i would ask tom about yeah what your level of familiar familiarity is with the album and your your level of enjoyment with it well i kind of also stopped after both sides i got that when it came out it didn't really do anything for me. I didn't go see him on that tour. I didn't get Dancing Into the Light or Dance Into the Light. See, I don't even know the title. <laughs> <laughs> but when this came out, I must have, I didn't buy it because the front says for promotional use only. <laughs> uh, so someone must have gotten it to me. There is a sticker on the jewel case that says, includes the new hit single, Can Stop Loving You, featured in the new Toyota Avalon commercial. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, I remember that I commercial tried, now. Yeah. I was trying to, I was trying to YouTube that and I couldn't find it. I just didn't dig hard enough, but um, so yeah, I, I bought this album. I think I played it a couple times and there were some stuff I liked. Uh, a friend got me tickets to the first final farewell tour, which I don't know if was that the tour for this album or did he do a specific testify tour? It was kind of the tour for this album that, played some of the tracks from this but it was there was nothing called like the testify tour it was him deciding at that point to go into semi-retirement got it so I, I did see him on this tour at staples center and it was a great show uh he was energetic the phil i mean yeah he did maybe two songs from this album but the rest were just his standard hits 
but I hadn't really given it further listens until it was broached as a topic for this show. So it was interesting to get back into it and to remember what I did like, hear some things that I might not have liked, but have grown on me and other songs, which not so much. <laughs> so I'm looking to, forward to hearing what you remember about liking it and what Al thought about it as a first time. Yeah, I can't wait to to contrast and compare uh, the reactions. And also, you know, I, I figure we're going to do a lot of kind of dipping in and out of the catalog, um, mm -hmm. you know, because already uh, Mike, you know, started to make some some comparisons and tell us his number one uh, Phil Collins album. So, you know, I'm hoping we can do a little ranking exercise towards the end. Uh, but yeah, not only did I drop out after both sides, I wasn't even aware that of this album or dance into the light. Like I just, I didn't even know that those had been released until several years after I just, I really checked out. And so I still, uh, am totally unfamiliar with dance, uh, dance to the light. There's the one album that followed this one. That was just a Motown Motown covers album. Right. So this still is his last studio album of, of original songs, uh, other than of course the one Leo Sayer cover. So, uh, yeah, you know, kind of coming in at the back of the at the back of the catalog here. So um, before we do dig into tracks and I, I do, I, I've been sort of bouncing around on recent episodes and I feel like that works well sometimes. I think maybe partly because this is what you guys do on your show, but I really would like to go sequentially with this album. But sure. um, but before we break down in, in that fashion, uh, I have a question and I, I alerted you guys to this uh, ahead of time. It was something I was thinking about. So I was curious about your thoughts on it. I was thinking about what if I had to write a review of this album? Because, and I, I guess right away here, I'm going to have to to give away some of my reaction to it. <laughs> I like this album. I All really right. like this album. Hmm. And I, but I second guess myself. Uh, now I had sort of a similar reaction in, in a much more condensed time frame, Mike, that you did that. The first time I thought it was like, okay. But like by the third or fourth time, like I was just really like, I just want to listen to this album just, just to listen to it. Cause I was enjoying it so much. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering, is this just nostalgia for me? Like, is this album really as good as I'm making it out to be, or is this just nostalgia? So, you know, I'm wondering that it got me thinking about what if I had to write a review for it? Would I be a good person to write about this in spite of the fact that, you know, I, I know the Genesis catalog really well. I know Phil Collins catalog up to um you know both sides really well mm -hmm. um so i have a lot of you know perspective we all can kind of dip in and out of the catalog and make references but maybe it would be better if you were going to read about this album and you hadn't listened to it maybe it'd be better for somebody to to tell you what they think of it that doesn't have so much phil collins baggage attached you go tom i'll <laughs> it's you know I, i've thought about this and I think I'd have to lean towards, I would rather read a review of someone who is familiar with the artist and their back work uh, than someone who was going in blind and just treating it as if it were an album they picked out at random. Uh, just because of the way that they're going to talk about the tracks and describe them. Overall, they're going to be missing something that a fan or uh, someone who's familiar with the artist would know. Kind of like, I can listen to this and make comparisons to other songs that he has in his catalog. I can put it in context to his career as a whole and his discography of where it stands 
compared to other albums. Uh, I can just see how his writing has have, has maybe improved or matured or gotten more mainstream or why why my opinion of this album is what it is because of what I know about his previous albums. I've read reviews. I read a review of Invisible Touch when that came out. And it was obvious the guy who reviewed it had no idea what Genesis was and who they were. He was complaining that the lyric Into Deep was in the song Into Deep and in Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. And it really <laughs> confused the heck out of him. So originally that took me that took me out of the review. I'm like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know the band. So I didn't give it as much weight as I would a review by someone who was familiar with the artist. Wait till he gets to Oh Lord. <laughs> exactly. All my life. Yeah. Yeah. I I I generally agree with Tom that I think it's helpful to be talking to reading a review by somebody with knowledge of of the band of the artist of some type i think it's interesting to read a review by somebody who doesn't know anything about it but it all as a fan i think that if if i'm reading a review of an artist that i don't know anything about maybe it matters less to me but if i'm reading an album a review by for a phil collins album for a genesis album for a peter gabriel album whatever it might be i think that if like if there's not that context of them knowing something about the history, I'm not going to take the review as seriously, even if it's positive, I might not. So mm -hmm. that's, so I kind of get where Tom's coming from with this, where it's like, it's, I think it's good to have the context, but I don't, I don't know if it's necessary. If, if it's, if it's an artist that I already like, I'm probably going to buy the album anyway. So, or listen to it or give it a shot. You know, so I think, but I think writing about it with the knowledge that you have, you have, if you're knowledgeable about the artist, it just allows you to have a deeper appreciation plus or minus for it. Because I think a fan could look, can listen to an album and say, I don't like this. And here's my reasons why, because it doesn't equal their prior work. It's derivative and whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, there's pluses and minuses to each of it. I think that there's so, but I do like overall, I think having somebody with the context for knowing the artist or, or having an appreciation, even for the genre of music that it is, you know, it's as a progressive rock art rock fan to have somebody who, who only likes punk rock writing about <laughs> like King Crimson or something. Does that even make sense? Yeah. And vice versa, you know, like, I, you know, if somebody's totally into the more artsy end of rock, to have them writing about, you know, Green Day, is that going to be terribly interesting? Who knows? So, yeah. And I, you know, I really like the point that you made about, you know, as a reader, what is your level of familiarity? Because obviously, if you're coming in new and a reviewer's coming in new, it's not going to bother you as much if they're missing important context that you're right. expecting to, to be reading. So yeah, no, I I think I agree with you, but I just I struggled with this. Just you know, I'm kind of creating this this um, you know convoluted uh, yeah. situation here to just kind of play with the idea of what I, how much would I like this album if I could listen to it with with fresher ears? Because even though I literally well, never listened to the album before, I didn't know any of the songs. I don't even think I I'm I don't know if I saw that ad or not. Maybe I heard the single 
like in the grocery store or something like that once or twice, but I really wasn't even familiar with it. I, I couldn't have told you how it went. So I pretty much came in completely fresh on this album in that regard. And yet I don't feel like I came in fresh at all because there were certain things about my reaction that were really about feeling like it was like a homecoming in the sense, like rediscovering Bill Collins. Cause I really have not listened to him a lot in, in several years. Well, here's a question that I have for you that I didn't give you any warning about, but the, uh, but if you had heard this album 20 years ago when it came out, do you think you would have liked it? Probably, Knowing yourself 20 years ago. Yeah, probably not. Probably I not. agree. Not yeah. about you, but about me. I think <laughs> that if I heard this 20 years ago, I don't think I would have liked it that much. Yeah. And it was very, for me, very um, reminiscent of holding back on um, calling all stations, which I had kind of okay. like a similar 20 year gap before I finally tried that one out. Would I have liked that in 1997? Probably not. But when I finally got around to it in 2017, I think it was 2017, 2018, whenever it was, uh, it was, it was a revelation to me. It was, you know, I, yeah. I loved that album pretty much right away and I still love it. Yeah. So yeah. For, for me, this, this album is, middle-aged phil collins <laughs> and maybe being middle-aged mike lord i am like this is right in my sweet spot right now so well, it's he, like, he was around the age we are now when he made it right yeah i mean that's and maybe that's part of it just hearing it especially mm. now where i'm like oh yeah like this is a guy who's had lots of up and ups and down in, in his love life he was at the time of recording this in in a very up happy place and we're used to kind of like the, the Phil Collins divorce albums or the Phil Collins sad breakup albums. And this is one of those times where it's like, oh, this is Phil when during the time of recording in a fairly happy place. And things went kind of south after that. But it was, <laughs> yeah. but I think it captures a moment in time. And some of these songs are not, yearning love songs but i'm presently in love love songs and that's that's kind of nice to hear from him it's different from him i thought yeah absolutely it is and you know speaking of things that that were different on this album uh daryl Sturmer's only on two tracks i believe right so yep. almost all the guitars are tim pierce and uh mm -hmm. the producers rob cavallo so mm -hmm. no hugh padgham on here. Right. And I, I like the change of pace. And to get back to your question, yeah. Mike, I think, yeah, 20 years ago, I would have been sort of like, ew, you know, I don't like the yeah. sound, but like, I like and, the fact that it, it sounds a little different. Right. And pretty much, except maybe on one track, no horns. Yep. And I think even the horns, the kind of on one of the tracks towards the end, are probably more keyboard horns than anything. I think there's a, like a sax or a trumpet somewhere too, but it's just like, it's, it doesn't have that sonic palette that you're used to from Phil Collins albums, which was really kind of nice. I, I, it was a, it was a change that worked for me. So well, you, you know what I think about faux horns, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The horns there, they can be, they can be out there. My, my memory, Tom, is that you're not a huge fan of full horns. Well, if you're going to set, get that close to it, you might as well just use real horns. But I think that was another oh, note yes. I had for some of the songs about the horns too. Yeah. So Genesis's version of Behind the Lines should have real horns? No, I think Phil's was perfect with it. Genesis's, <laughs> Genesis's version was perfect that way. Phil's was perfect his way. 
I agree. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. All right. Well, let's dig into the tracks and we will start with Wake Up Call, the leadoff track. And this was one that I really did like right away. So I'd like, mm, this is, this is promising. So uh, Tom, what are your feelings about this track? <laughs> oh, now I feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you like it? Uh, the, the first thing, well, again, I've had, I think I did like this song back in the day. Uh, it was kind of like a nice intro. Now, just as a comparison, I just put like a lackluster opening song. So you think back to In the Air Tonight, I Don't Care Anymore, Susudio, Hanging Long Enough, even both sides. I mean, that packs a punch when you put the needle on the record. This kind of like comes in with like a little mid-tempo whimper. So even though there are parts of it that I do like, I, uh, it just doesn't seem like you, I, I'm used to a Phil knowing how to pace an album, knowing where to put tracks and how to grab you right from the start. And this didn't do it for me. I actually put it, maybe this would be a good closing song. Like after he's talked about everything, you know, maybe everything he spoke about is a wake up call. And maybe that would be a way to end the album. But as an opener, I just, Yeah wasn't I, for me i have to jump in and just say i agree with tom that this album to my mind is very poorly sequenced wow it's like there's especially i think at the end like i think the last two songs should have been flipped or even come to me the second song would have been a great ending song on this album and it just feels like that there were some flow issues that didn't work with that being said i actually like this as an opener so <laughs> I there's a little bit of difference there. My memory of this song is that when Phil first started touring again in 2016 or so, he played this song and he actually said at the show I was at, and he might have said it at every show, he said, Oh, you know, I'm going to do a song from Testify now. And there was kind of a light smattering of applause in the audience. <laughs> and he just kind of, and he pauses and goes, Well, I didn't buy all of your solo albums either. <laughs> and it was just kind of a nice acknowledgement of, I'm going to do a song. Maybe you don't know it that much, but maybe you'll like it. And I remember thinking like, oh yeah, this is the good song. This is a good song off of that album. So, you know, I generally like it. I thought it was cool that there's little, you know, sound effects of an alarm clock at the start because Phil doesn't use sound effects that often. And again, maybe that's also a sign of, oh, this is a little different than I'm used to from him. So, and the song itself is fine. I think the, there's a little bit of a solo in the middle of it with a weird keyboard that's a little weak sounding, but eh, whatever, you know. Yeah, Tom <laughs> gave the thumbs down there. I, I didn't but, say weak. I put mediocre. <laughs> all right. Well, I have some, I have some thoughts about the keyboard. So yeah. first of all, that's, I assume that's Phil playing, right? Probably. Yeah. Could so, be. So just pretty cool that Phil gave himself a keyboard solo. I, I, yeah. 
I was impressed by that. And I had the same opinion the first few times I listened. Like, I, w- I wouldn't say it was weak. Like, it, it, it's definitely like there's a lot of space in it. You know, it, it just it's not the type of keyboard solo that you'd be used to hearing uh, on one of Phil's records and certainly, you know, anything with Tony Banks on it. But the more I listened to it, the more I thought it was really fitting. And I wrote, there were a couple of things I put at the beginning, Phil's voice sounds muted in the intro, sort of like you're hearing it on the radio, like it's an alarm, alarm clock radio. And that's kind of a part of telling the story with the music itself. And I thought, well, the keyboard's kind of doing the same thing because it's, I wrote, it's a very buoyant keyboard sound, like Mm -hmm. wake up, wake up. So I wound up really liking the keyboard solo. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I think that it's your show. <laughs> well, that's it's it's funny because like it's 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 a cool little song and it sets a mood. I actually like the groove of it. Yeah, I mean, as a first song, I keep now I'm maybe going on to Tom's side of things where it's like, yeah, maybe <laughs> something else could have been there. But I do I did enjoy it. I think overall I liked the song and you know, it's, but I don't know what else I would have put in the first place of first track if it wasn't this song. So All right, I, like, I, like, I like the melody of the chorus and you know, wake up. Yeah. Call. Like that. Yes. I really like, I enjoy that. I think when I'm listening to it again, maybe spacing if it had fallen someplace but after listening to the whole album it kind of does set the statement of what you're going to get like if you love slow to mid-tempo phil collins without all those crappy rocking songs that you can air drum to then this is your cup of tea because that's what every song is (laughs) all right it is mid-tempo that is for sure yeah so so what should the opener be on the album Uh, I have I have a, uh, no, a don't candidate in mind based on what you said before, but I'll see if I'm right. I would if say, I'm... well, maybe driving me crazy. Okay, but... I I thought you might say testify. I was gonna. That's what I was going to say. If because that's a song that when I first heard it back in 2010 ish, 2008, 2009, that time frame. I was like, why was this song not a single? I was like, this to me, it's a very different Phil Collins song. It has a build to it, not necessarily a big explosive build like an In the Air Tonight, but it just worked for me on the first listen. And I was like, this should have been a single. And would it have been a big single? I I honestly don't know in 2002, 2003, if the marketplace would have sustained that, but it, I could have heard this on the radio and be like, yeah, this is a song that people would get into. So I was surprised that it wasn't. So yes. So, so much for staying in order. Cause yeah, let's, let's talk about the Mm. title track here. (laughs) We'll come back to come with me. Uh, So yeah, I'll, I'll second uh, a lot of the things that you just said there, Mike, that I wondered, you know, why wasn't this made a single just because if, if for no other reason that it does have a lot of those Phil Collins trademarks that people recognize in terms of the big drum sound and the buildup.
you're right. It is a, a different type of buildup. It's more gradual than, you know, the, the big break in, in the air or something like that. But uh, when Tom, you were talking about, you know, songs like I don't care anymore leading off an album, I thought, well, this is kind of the closest analog to that on this album. So I think it could have worked as a lead off track. I think it could have worked as a single. And this track just blew me away because you get through the first minute or two and I'm just like, oh, okay. It's, it's, it's a late era Phil Collins ballad, whatever. I want to testify, testify my love for you. And then you've got the hey ya hey ya's, you know, coming yeah. in. That's kind of like a, a, a bit of of um, musical interest. And then then you get the big drums, and all of a sudden it's like, well, this is not the song at all that I thought this was going to be. This is pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I, I did build the, the build up. Yeah, I love the yeah. build up where it's very simple, Phil, and then you have like the gospel like bridge that comes in a couple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the longest song on the record. I think it's six and a half minutes. And, you know, the buildup goes along that time. Maybe it would have been tough to get that same effect of the buildup if you cut it down to three and a half minutes, four minutes. But as they, they, they probably could have done that and released it as a single. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd give a thumbs up on this song. I, I, I enjoyed it. Testify my love. <laughs> and and even though that's kind of the hook that kind of, it's it's a song with kind of that one line chorus to it you know it's not it's not a chorus that is expansive it's it's such a mood and it's such a build to it that it I, it was the song that i think made me pay more attention to the rest of the album when i first heard it and so again maybe putting that in the fir- in the uh, first place position would be would work in a lot of different ways yes cosign all of that absolutely (laughs) so actually it's kind of good we're going a little out of order here because go back to track two come with me a track that i wound up really liking a lot there aren't very many on here i did like there's one i really hate that's already been mentioned (laughs) (laughs) all right we have something to look forward to there we go but um, I, I wrote, Tim Pierce's playing sounds a little edge-like, reminds me a little bit of Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Mm. And that was something that really irritated me the first couple of times. Uh, this is on come with me you're saying um, come right? with me so yeah going yeah. back to track two come with me and the the internal dialogue i was having is like oh this sounds like the edge this sounds like a very particular edge riff this kind of sounds like phil like running out of original ideas but i came to not be such a jerk about it and just <laughs> appreciate the song you know which is really melodic and uh you know has a little bit of a build up itself i put a nice fill a drum fill at 321 and then after that the snare's a little bit louder so you've got a little it's, bit of dynamics there and i actually think it's a nice song 
Yeah, you get that earworm of the chorus, you know, that just little the come with me. Da, 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 da. It just that I found that getting stuck in my head as I listened to it in preparation for this podcast. And that's why I do think that this would would be a good track to end with also as a candidate. Maybe we can discuss if there's any other good ending songs on here. But I just thought it would be a a track that would leave you with that melody in your head and want to go back and revisit the album. So, uh, which I can't honestly remember which the last track is on here right now. So, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that might be a sign that, you know, why I would change that around a bit. The last track is called you touch my heart. And I listened to it so many times because I could not remember it. So that comes back <laughs> to your critiques right. about the sequencing that yes. the last two tracks and that last one in particular, I listened mm-hmm. to so many extra times because I really wanted to be able to access it in my head when we're talking. And right now I still can't access it. So, right. and by the time we get to get to the end of this, the end of this conversation, we'll be like, uh, yeah, what's that song? <laughs> Should we listen to it before we talk, to it, talk about it? <laughs> yeah, maybe, so, yeah. maybe because I'm a softy and a parent, I love this song. Like this rate tie up. Wait, wait come me. with me, you mean? Come, come with me. me. This yes. rate tie up for me. Uh, everything about it has got that soothing lullaby quality. And I think it started off as something he would sing to Lily, but then later on he worked lyrics into it around Nicholas when he was little. That's what I had read. Um, and I actually used this song. I had to do a, a video mon- photo montage for someone's 40th birthday party. And so, you know, you start off just with them, funny pictures. You go from funny into now baby pictures and their parent. And I use this song as the background. And I mean. Tears were flowing, I'm sure. If you don't have a tear flowing when you hear this song and then, and then seeing baby pictures. I mean, you, you don't have a soul. But this, <laughs> this, this was one of the two tracks he did on the first Final Farewell from this album. He did this and Can't Stop Loving You. And this was great. He had the backup singers come up and uh, yeah, it was just a great concert piece. I mean, if you didn't know it, maybe you went to the bathroom or you got a, to get a beer, but for those who stayed, it was just a really nice harmonies and you could tell he was having fun singing it because he knew the origins of this song. So you could tell that when he sings it, you know, he's thinking of his kids, which, oh, oh, <laughs> good old Phil. Everybody yeah. loves Phil. I mean, he's got the same kind of vein as you'll be in my heart, like that kind of song. Like it comes from that uh, well in his brain where he's just like, you know, soothing somebody, uh, letting reassuring them, letting them know. And you always want to be told that it, everything's good and don't worry about the bad things. And Phil wraps you in his arms and. <laughs> yeah it's a really sweet song but it also it grooves too like it's yeah it's just a really good song that's uh something to remind the the jerk part of myself (laughs) (laughs) that's what this album can do it gets you in out of that space and into a positive space yeah all right well uh speaking of which i I had a similar experience with the fourth track so let's move on to that don't get me started and this is (laughs) i think i think this is what kind of got me thinking about am i a fair uh, evaluator of this album because I think that these lyrics are horrendous and I love this song. <laughs> so love the song, hate the lyrics, basically. 
but yeah, love the song. Don't care that the lyrics are terrible. Okay. Okay. Right. Because I, yeah, I thought I hated the song. And then after listening to it probably two times, I found myself like humming it the whole day. You, and... think, you think you hate it now? Wait till you listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh to quote clark griswold from vacation um yeah <laughs> i i i did put kind of like land of confusion the lyrics were written in the mid 80s but are kind of pertinent today uh, these were written around the early 2000s and i still think they're pertinent i'd put down um uh, don't get me started on information magazines and tv although now it'd be internet there's one man under his big umbrella while it's raining on you and me. I thought that was a good line. Every day is getting harder to judge fiction from fact. Every day it's getting harder to judge fiction from fact. I'm tired of truth being denied me. It's mine and I want it back. I mean, that's... Um, I I noted that same lyric, so high five. <laughs> well, those were not the little lyrics that I, I thought that were bad, but I just, you know, the way sure. it starts off, you know, what is it? Uh, don't get me started on uh, religion, what, and I'm, sex and religion, I think he says. But I'm just like, oh, we're, we're back to Jesus. He knows me. Like, <laughs> we've done this. <laughs> right. Sure, right. <laughs> so that, that, that irritated me. But um, I hear you. Yeah. But it's, I just wrote in all caps with three exclamation points, <laughs> earworm. It's it's just <laughs> such a good song. And the other thing I wrote is what is a precious steamer? And then I realized it was pressure steamer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Business is usually not precious steamer. Where reality slips from view. They say that we can't take it. Got to double check that lyric sheet, sheet every once in a while. Yeah, don't, don't don't look it up in Urban Dictionary, whatever you do. <laughs> right. I, I did like the melody. It's an earworm. There was a solid bass line I also noted. And my one thought, big thought about this was that if it had been released in the late 80s, I think it would have been a hit because it would have fit yeah. in with the But Seriously stuff very, very well. Oh, absolutely. So... You know, the, like I said, that the lyrics did get to me. There was the, you know, Jesus, he knows me kind of theme revisit. <laughs> he also references tell me why, um, which on the, you know, the first list, listen again sort of irritated me a little bit. But what really hooked me on this song is the chorus. It's such a great chorus. And so I started thinking about why is this such a great chorus? And again, this is kind of getting back to like the, the nostalgia or, you know, looking for the familiar thing from Phil Collins that I've always loved about his, his songs is that it's this mix of like being uplifted with a tinge of melancholy. So, you know, you, you got the chorus, uh, you know, I'm on my way and there's the uplift. <laughs> and then you've got, you know, the next line, which just sounds to me very sort of melancholy. And it's, it's just so good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that this song is one of those that stuck with me longer than I expected it to. And again, on repeated listens, I was like, yeah, this is this is in my head. This is out here now. And it's it it's something that, yeah, I, I'll be curious to know what the 
so you didn't like the lyrics to this one, but there is a there's another song, Al, that you just dislike totally on the album. So mm-hmm. the this one, I don't know if there's a song on here that I dislike totally. So I'll be I'm I'm still looking forward to hearing what this is going to be. So <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it won't be soon. Uh okay. okay. All right. Yeah. But uh all right. Well, let's uh continue on here. Swing low is the fifth track. I thought this was a cool song too. Uh, a lot of like cool atmosphere in this one. That, yeah, that opening... it, it, it it had a bit of a hip hop ish feel to it in, <laughs> in my in my very white fifty year old way. It's kind of the the drum machine was a bit like oh yeah this feels it has that flavor to it which you know I thought I thought it was really good. It had a kind of a quote back to the in the air tonight lyric in there mm-hmm. which you know for the uh, us, we train spotters we enjoy any of that type of stuff so. I put that that opening keyboard. I expected Dr. Dre or Snoop Dogg to start singing <laughs> at any moment, so I definitely got that vibe from it. Me uh, three you know, got my mind on my money. Got my money on my mind. Yeah, I, I love that line. Like the man said he was right about something coming in the air tonight. Yeah, oh, that was definitely. a little very cool nod. Um, it's different. And I think that's what I like most about it. That like a lot of the songs that are coming up in the album are starting to sound very similar to each other. And this was kind of like an anomaly. You have this weird, spooky keyboard intro and a nice song, which I, I, I appreciated it kind of not going the standard route of some of the other songs. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it definitely was, I think, the most maybe unfelt Collins-like song on the album. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of cool sounds in it. Like um, there's, a, it's, it's sort of like a trippy sounding keyboard sound um, that you just wouldn't expect. I think this is the most obvious example of a, a departure from his usual sound. But like I said, with Tim Pierce playing guitar and uh, I think uh, Mike, it was you that mentioned the sound effects and there are a few songs with sound yeah. effects on them. Yeah. So I just like, after my initial, you know, reactions of like, Oh, he's running out of ideas and everything. Like the closer I listened to it, I thought, no, like Phil's Phil's trying some different things here. So, yeah. yeah which I think is, is something that, when I first heard it was unexpected. I was expecting, I, I think at this point, I probably did have Dance Into the Light, which I really don't enjoy that much <laughs> because it sounded like cookie cutter Phil Collins to me. And, you know, lots of horns, lots of, you know, just kind of Phil being Phil. And I wasn't thrilled about that kind of avenue that he went down. So, I think my fear of this album was it's just going to be more of that and why subject myself to it. And so this is another track that kind of shows that maybe he wanted to break out of that feel also without disliking the prior material for, for him, but just not wanting to repeat himself. And I think that's valid 
that's great at any age to go, to realize that you want to shake things up and not use your regular family of musicians on the album, for example. So I think that's that's a good thing to do and to kind of break out and, and intentionally do something different. All right, well, let's close out what, what I think of as side one, although, I mean, there must be a vinyl version of this, right? I, there is now. I don't know if there, there was. There is now. <laughs> I saw it at Barnes & Noble. It was half price, $15.99. That was the half price. Wow. And it's a double album. Right. It's four, it's yeah. uh, two LPs. Oh, really? Right. Um, so I, I, but I didn't pick it up. I still have my promotional the, copies. The reissue, yeah, the reissue has all the bonus stuff on it. Uh, like some B-sides, some live stuff and things like that. So I'm sure that's what the two, the double album version was too, I would think, which I do have up on my shelf here. I, I have a cat on my lap, so I can't go get it right now, but. <laughs> All right. Well, we, you know, be none the wiser. If yes. You were up and, and walking around. Right. Uh, all right, so we'll close out the first half uh, for side one, if you want to pretend that way. Uh, it's not too late. And the only thing I wrote is, <laughs> could be a Peter Gabriel song. Oh, all right. What, what made you feel that way? Interesting. Uh, yeah. well, there's a, there's a, like a, a breakdown section where I think it's just fill and keyboard, and it just sounds like, sort of like it could be, you know, a, a variation on Mercy Street or something. I mean, just the whole <laughs> thing to me, really had like a, a a so era gabriel feel to me slowly rocking the baby's bed he strokes its head and whispers but though it is him he keeps smiling and kicks its feet somewhere out there is our life i just i just think it's a gorgeous song yeah, that might, that I, middle part might be the bridge that I wrote has potential. Because so I think the rest of it, I kind of put kind of forgettable, possibly make it a B-side. Because maybe there's two songs I would have taken off here to make it a little more tighter. Uh, and this was probably one of them. It's mesmerizing. Like, it's it's not a song that I loved right away. But, you know, it, it really was sort of entrancing to me. It's it's funny, Al. You mentioned that you didn't make many notes about this one. I I also didn't make many notes of it, <laughs> but I but not it was too more, late. Uh, it isn't. You're right. I can I can start <laughs> writing now. It's never too late. But but my main note was just lyrically that it was when I kind of realized that there's a lot of lyrics on this album about the passing of years and the passing of time. And again, Phil is a fifty-ish year old guy doing this music. And maybe thinking this might be, maybe I want to kind of slip into this retirement world at this point and spend time with his very young kids at the time. It was that idea that it, it's not too late to have that life. And, you know, you, you think about the time that you, that's passed and the time ahead of you and that, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like I'm just restating the song here, but it's not too late. And I think that that's, that's the theme in this album, along with kind of the actual being in positive love that I mentioned before, is that, you know, maybe that the love, it's not too late to fall in love either. So I'm always maybe, late to the lyrics party. So <laughs> I, I, one of the other note I had on here is that we're at the halfway point of the album and there's still no grab you by the balls rocker. But again, no, there's that's, not. 
that's where he is. There's no Susudio. There's no uh, through these walls or there's no uh, even I missed again, something like that, where it's right. really going to grab you. Uh, but that's that's where he was. And you have his earlier albums to go to if, if that if this isn't your thing. But uh, for me, it was like it, it became more and more noticeable as I went track by track that this is what you're going to get. And this was the fill of 2002. And well, and as much as something like No Jatter Required is a party album, as, as we talked about when we did our Tabletop Genesis episode about that, this is not a party album. <laughs> this, this is not even close to being a party album. And I'm okay with that. This is a, you know, sit back with a drink and listen to the album, you know, and have it on, not necessarily background, but it's a different, you're not, you're, you put this album on when you want a different experience. Well, compared to both sides, it absolutely is a party album. <laughs> <laughs> True, yes. Which yes. is another of his albums that, that grew on, when I first heard it in my early 20s, I was like, this is not good. Mm-hmm. And now I feel much differently towards that album. I, I still, it's not, one, it's not one I go back to a lot, but I appreciate it much more for what that album is than I did at the time. Yeah, same, same here. Um, and I thought about that album a lot listening to this album, because I think sonically there are some similarities Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the, the greater vocal restraint and even the drumming restraint, um, Mm -hmm. versus his, his first, uh, four albums. There's Um, no, there's no shouty fill on this one. No shouty fill. I gotta say that for me, that's a huge plus. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Maybe I'm on, uh, no shouty fill Island over here. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. <laughs> well, Times change. Said, it's my podcast, so that's right. <laughs> of course. Uh, all right. Oh, well, just one other comment too, just in terms of what Tom, what you were saying about there being no rockers. I actually would count Testify as a rocker, or at least it, you know, it transitions into being one to my my ears. But I think that maybe is the argument against not putting it at the top because it's sort of misleading as a as a mission statement. Yeah, yeah it might change your that, expectations yeah. if you put that there. So something to chew on there. Let's let's flip the flip the album. Uh, this love, this heart, uh, leading <laughs> off the second side or second half. And uh, did, I, did I detect a, a snicker? <laughs> that snicker might have come from me. <laughs> it was an involuntary snicker. I I don't know. I just put. I had a positive and a negative. The negative was that I feel like it was a love song that I've heard him do many times before, but better. Yeah. Uh, my positive was the last minute starts to get interesting. There's this backing guitar, like just, just kind of crying. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. But it's as the song is starting to fade out. I'm like, oh, I wish they had put that guitar in earlier because I was, I was liking where that mood was going with the guitar, but it just kind of, Came in too little too late. Mike, you agree? My my yeah, my main comment about this song. Uh, kind of I agree with Tom about kind of the whole it's it's very much a love song 
Uh, and but my final comment, which I think I just wrote literally almost listening to it maybe right before this recording, was good song but forgettable. It's like I don't think it's a bad song, but I also at this time right now, I can't remember what it sounds like. <laughs> I can only remember what the coda sounds like. And my only comment mm. I wrote down was I only like the coda. Um, yeah. <laughs> so exactly. Right. I think we're, we're all in agreement there. And do, do you guys yeah. watch um, Tim Pierce's YouTube channel? You ever no, no, I didn't that? know he had one. It's very cool. So I recommend it to everybody, but he occasionally does videos about, you know, songs he's played on and, and, you know, how he comes up with the parts and all that. And this song was really making me, wish i don't think he's done one um you know do a video on on this part because tom like you were saying it's it's fantastic it saves yeah. the song totally yeah it's, it's fantastic so we're there you guys we're there we're at uh -oh. driving me crazy like <laughs> first comment creepy af <laughs> i really hate this song wow <laughs> i and, yeah I, I say said it, it was very. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'd say that. I, I said it was. It felt very early two thousands to me, and then I thought about that. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> that it feels very early two thousands, <laughs> but the it's the chorus made me smile. It's like, but the but the middle part kind of doesn't really do anything for me. I like that this is an upbeat song and probably kind of you know if not starting the second side, then pretty early on in the second side. But yeah, I, I think outside of the chorus, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't stand out to me. But what don't you, what really, what drives you crazy about this, Al? What, what is it, what is it that, that you dislike so much about this? Well, so I don't, I've, I've said, I don't pay that much attention to lyrics or even where I pay attention to them. Sometimes I can just forgive them. And I think we talked about this too on the tabletop Genesis episode that I was on, but mm -hmm. there's a line and he crosses it here. <laughs> 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 and it's just the, you know, the lyrics, which are, are creepy, but also feel a little derivative. Cause it's kind of like every step you take territory only, you know, sting did it better. Or and, through these walls from, uh, yeah, from, exactly exactly and then there's a line that's just that it, it just it just cancels the song for me if all the world's a stage we are only just two crazy players if all the world's a stage and we are we're only just two crazy players please understand why i just can't go on without you anymore two crazy kids yeah. trying to make our way in this world <laughs> couldn't so. forgive that yeah mm. and the, the song's yeah. just yeah you're right like the chorus is catchy but it's just not a good enough tune to outweigh the lyrics now and now that i read the lyrics without hearing the song it is very creepy every breath you take which you don't really get that listening to the upbeat kind of i put the rockiest track and i was being very generous because it's not rocky but it's the most upbeat my qualms with it was that it felt like it was holding back. Like I could imagine the songs with horns and going all out and it would be the ball grabber that, you know, it should be, but it just seemed like it was pulling it back. Like it, the song could be something big, but it's just middle of the road and it's kind of boppy and whatever, but it, it could have been a lot better if it had just been 
mixed and doubly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I do kind of like the songs that feel upbeat and feel kind of like happy. And then you look at the lyrics and you're like, oh, this is not <laughs> what I thought it was. And so I, I like this on that front of it, uh, on having that feel to it. But you're right. I think it could have gone even more in the upbeat direction and more in the kind of rocky direction and give it a bit more, uh, give it more to like on that arrangement side of it so that the lyrics are even more of a mystery. Like, like I always say, Invisible Touch, when you hear it, people think like, oh, this is a happy love song. And you're like, you listen to it and you're like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> it's like, this is a little bit dark here. Not to the extent of the kind of the stalkerish aspect of this be, of this uh, track, but it's, it isn't what it appears to be. And, you know, this maybe takes that for, for you, Al, a little bit too far. So yeah, I hear what you're saying here. Yeah. I don't dislike it though. It's just not. It's it's happy. It's happy sounding in a different way. So, well, on the second half of the album, I mean, we talked about the last track being really forgettable, and I mean, and I said the second to last one too was really sort of hard for me to get into my head. And just in general, I, I thought the first half was so much stronger. But like, the worst thing I could probably say about most of the other tracks on the second half is just that. They're just not as memorable. They're, they're just sort of like inoffensive. <laughs> and yeah, I'll take yeah. that over. <laughs> Driving me crazy. Anodyne. There you go. That was mm. the word. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, the least you can do, I guess maybe we could say that about this, but I mean, this is a, a song that like, I just like saw the title on the page with my notes here and, and you know, started getting it in my head. This is a pretty catchy song. It's the one Daryl co-write with the, him doing yeah. the music for this one. So so it has that feel to it. I I thought it was kind of the this loneliness idea. Like here's the here's a Phil Collins sad song, and he knows how to do sad songs in my mind. And you know the least you can do is give me back my heart. I was like, oh, that's that's sad. <laughs> and I and I and I totally get what he's saying with that. Like this is where Phil can talk about his own personal experience or write about his own personal experience. And, and you as a listener, me as a listener, I go, Oh yeah, I know exactly how that feels. So, and Phil's great at that. So, so yeah, I liked, I liked this song. This was one of those ones that, you know, is, you know, for, it's always weird to say like, I like this sad song, but it, it does the right piece there. It does the right thing. Well, like you said, Phil is just so good at writing this kind of song. And yet I don't feel like this is a Phil Collins song I've heard before. It's a type of Phil Collins right. song, but yeah, the, the melody, the arrangement, like it, it all felt pretty fresh to me. It, I couldn't tell you what it sounds like. <laughs> the, the one note that I wrote that I was happy that there were, they were real alien pipes. I, I think that's how you pronounce Oh yes. It. Yeah. So they weren't faux horns. They were or faux pipes. They were real alien pipes. Real horns. Yeah. And I wonder if that was more of a Daryl idea or, or if that was Phil's idea. Once he heard the music, I, I'd be curious to know where that came from. 
and it works. Like, it seems like it doesn't really fit the song if you, if you think about it, but I didn't really think about it until probably the last time I listened to it. Like, Oh, this, you know, wonder where the idea came from this. Cause it's not a, a natural progression of the rest of the song, but it, it does totally work. Yeah. All right. Let's get to that single. Can't stop loving you. <laughs> the one from that Toyota Avalon commercial that everyone yeah. still remembers. <laughs> My, my, my big thing about this, which I, I, I don't know why it was placed so far back on the album. Like, why wasn't this on the first side, track four, track three? Because this was the hit. Like, you have to get all the way through the album to hear the one song that people probably remember from this album. I thought the, the, the placement of it was a little odd. It could have closed out the metaphorical side one on the CD to kind of give right. it the you know, give you that oomph to kind of follow through with the rest of the album. So, yeah, it's and I like this song. I, I actually yeah, I do, too. think it's it's a good choice for a cover. I think his arrangement is great. I'm not super familiar with the original. I know it was it was written by this guy, Billy Nichols, who I know he was he was kind of the backup singer, musical director on the 1989 Who tour where they had a horn <laughs> section and, you know, toured for the first time since they did their farewell tour. and. And that's like, I would, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not super familiar with the original, but I think this is a really good song. I think he makes it a good song. I went and found the original and it was, I mean, it's Leo Sayer who had a yeah. few hits in the seventies and it's, it's okay at best. It's not, you mm -hmm. know, I, I guess I didn't really like it that much, but it wasn't, you know, wasn't offensive. Um, but <laughs> it's yeah, more, but no, he, it's more he like really a, a waltz tempo. Got your ticket, got your suitcase, got your leaving smile. So the idea that, you know, Phil heard this, I guess, on the radio and, you know, thought, well, I wonder what I could do with this and, and update it. And yeah, he, he does a really good job with it. And originally I read some background on this, that it was done by a group called White Horse, who the guy who, was, who wrote it was in. Uh, okay. So Leo Sayer was a cover oh. in 78. Trivia, who played bass on the Leo Sayer version? I'm going to guess it's Lee Sklar. It's Lee Sklar. Ah, ah winning. <laughs> that was a very good guess. Uh, uh, it, it, which, which funny, was actually a surprise to him too. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I, there was some YouTube clip of him talking about this, about how in 2000 two three when they were getting ready to tour and phil played this for leland like oh this is what we're going to be doing Leland's like did phil play this for me before it sounds so familiar and then he did some research on it and he found out that leo sayer did it and he looked at the credits he's like oh my god i played on that <laughs> so it's i guess he's just you know when you do hundreds of sessions you kind of lose yeah. track of what you've actually played on so he was like wow, I, I played on this well, original quote-unquote studio version and then with Phil live on that tour, he didn't play on the album, but he played it live. Now, this was yeah. a recent clip, right, uh, Tom? Yeah, I think it was during COVID, so it might have been like 20 or 21. Okay, well, no, because I'm saying this because, you know, you, you posed this um, 
this trivia question, I did not think of Lee Sklar at all, even though, yeah, he would have been the obvious guest. And then as soon as you said that he talked about on YouTube, I'm realizing I just saw this come up in my feed like today, but it's probably because oh. I've listened to testify so many times that the algorithm is just like, it knows. <laughs> listen, listen to Lee Sklar talk about this. Um, Mark Zuckerberg so is like, do, do, do. Al is listening to testify, must put this in his feed. <laughs> so I will put that link in the notes for everybody and I'll go check it out myself. Um, so yeah, two, two YouTube channels for everybody to uh, check out. Lee Squire and Tim Pierce, both awesome. All right, so we're down to those Wait, last- I just, I, oh, I just had yeah. a couple other notes for this song. It's, I, it's a great buildup and I love when songs start off very simple and they get layered and layered as they go on. And this- had that towards the end there's a very kind of rutherford like riff like that is typical of a rutherford riff on a genesis song i, I thought that was very cool And just a, it's a nice, perfect pop song, his version from start to finish. It has a great ending, which I thought was very nice. The way he goes out with that kind of vocal chorusy kind of feel. And it was good in concert. I think the people really enjoyed it. I probably stood up and clapped for it. <laughs> it's interesting that probably the one song that people remember from this era was a cover song. I mean, some oh, of yeah. Phil's biggest hits were cover songs. Uh, you Can't Hurry Love um true colors that kind of thing yeah uh but yeah again it's it's feel it feels like it's hidden on the second side i would have moved it up quicker yeah. i i agree with you about the arrangement and i i made a note that i thought the vocal arrangement at the end of the song kind of going into the outro was was really well done and that there was it, the song itself it's kind of a good story song it, it kind of has you know a, a good narrative to it if you kind of hang your hat on those things so so i enjoyed it overall you know as he did phil does a good job in picking songs to cover both that are interesting songs that work well with his you know vocal arrangement or skills as an arranger in that way yeah i kept thinking about that thing that i read about him hearing it on the radio and him uh saying that the melody really kind of stood out to him and listening to that leo sayer version it's that's not something that would have caught my ear so but you know i'm not phil collins <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> none of us are unfortunately nope. <laughs> all right well let's get to the uh two forgettable tracks at the end uh through my <laughs> eyes the the penultimate track and what I wrote for this one, the vocals in unison with the keyboards and the verses is the Disney-ish kind of thing I was afraid would be on this album. <laughs> Now, despite that, and that was probably, I probably wrote that after hearing it the first time. I, I grew to like this track more, but that was the thing that mm -hmm. stuck out to me. So I think I was like primed to find stuff that I hated. 
Well, I, I did say it was Tarzan-ish in my notes. So <laughs> kind of that Disney is a, yep. a Disney side of things. But I agree with you. To me, it, it's a song that that grew on me over time. It feels a bit like an echo of Testify to me. Kind of like maybe it was from the same writing process sessions or something like that. It's the one track that has kind of the horns in the background, just kind of those stabs of horns, not a real, not a real line like in Susudio where they're really playing like a melody or a riff of some type. And, and I generally just kind of like the vibe of this track. Like it, that's why I thought that this through my eyes would be a good final song on this album. I thought it would, it's something that besides come with me, it's, it has that, feel that I think you should have at, at especially at the end of this album that would make you want to re-listen to things and get deeper into it. I put, it was kind of indistinguishable from previous songs. What held me back and what I couldn't get out of my head is that every verse, the first line, the melody was, did you ever know that you are my hero, like wind beneath my wings? <laughs> sure. And I couldn't get that out of my head. So every time he would start a verse and it would follow that melody, I'm hearing wind beneath my wings in my head. So maybe that's the feel good Disney connection that I was making, even though that's not a feel good Disney movie, but uh, <laughs> that's the connection that I was making in my head. And I couldn't get, I, I can't get past that. And now I won't be able to unhear. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right, well, let's all uh, sing You Touch My Heart in uh, unison here, <laughs> since none of us actually knows how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, but there's the one melody line in there that is very true color-ish in there. Ah, I wrote that down, too. I wrote that yeah, down. Yeah, because, and, because, be and especially- afraid. What can I offer you that you never see? Just don't be afraid. Well, especially with Phil having covered that song, right. I was like, "How did how did he borrow <laughs> so heavily from it?" Unless that's unless it's a knowing wink, but it just feels so strange. <laughs> it, felt, it it took me out of the song itself, and I wasn't really able to enjoy the song for what it was. I did think it was very cool that there was kind of a neat kind of acoustic guitar, nylon guitar going through it all, which is something you rarely, if ever, have heard on a Phil Collins song before. So I liked that it had that different type of arrangement to it. I just with, wish the vocal medley had been a little different in places. That was the plus for me. I think the nylon guitar, a synth, again, a synth sax, faux horns, <laughs> which I didn't care for. And I just put the album kind of came in and out with a whimper. Like I would have <laughs> sure. preferred a, a different opening track and a different closing track. Uh, maybe come with me as the, as the end one or something else. Mm -hmm. And that true colors. <laughs> Didn't John Fogarty get sued for plagiarizing himself? He did. For some song? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> kind yeah. of, kind of like that. Like Phil, you, you're going to be sued by yourself for. Uh... <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, gonna be, he's going to be covering it. Now you're going to get He's going to be sued by himself. <laughs> Finally, the song has a meaning. Susudio. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love the idea of putting come with me at the end. You, you have yeah. totally convinced me of that. It's a, it, it's a good option. I think that then, and, and that's where I wonder if 
like what the discussions were around sequencing this album and you know because phil is usually pretty solid with that and as genesis are also i think that the genesis albums in general are sequenced pretty well and this one was just one that for me as i said at the start of all this i was like it, it just wasn't it was all over the place and it it just didn't it was a jumble of songs that were kind of just thrown out there with no what seemingly little thought to the order yeah it's it's hard to hard to understand because yeah he is known for being such a good sequencer yeah and and it's something i didn't yeah it wasn't a critique that i had um listening to it but you guys have made so many good points and you know given that I really loved the first half and was a little more underwhelmed by the second half. It does seem like there's a way you could have mixed this up. You put um, come with me at the end, you, you bump can't stop loving you into that number two spot. I think that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, we'll go ahead and have to make our own playlists. I, I, and I'm a lot of it. It has to do, I think with the way I, I think when people pace songs on an LP with sides one and side two was a lot different than the pacing of a single play cd whereas i've had a problem with you know if i play an lp and i'm done with side one next time i come back i'm flipping it and putting side two with a cd i listen to that first half of the cd much more than i listen to the second because usually when i come back i press play and it starts from the beginning right so i don't think maybe as much thought is given into sequencing when you're going direct to cd than it was with albums that's my opinion on that i think that's that i think that's right and I still try to force fit this idea of two sides. Um, <laughs> and I do it on every episode. So sure. <laughs> at least I'm consistent hey. with that. You want both sides. Oh, we are full <laughs> circle and a perfect segue. You guys are so good at this. Um, so I did say at the outset that I wanted to do a little bit of ranking here. Maybe not necessarily a full ranking, but where does, um, where does testify fall in, um, in terms of your, you know, like in between which albums. Uh, so Tom, let's, let's start with you. I would say that his first four are solid albums up through, but seriously, I would put this next in the ordering. So you have the, the group of four that are solid, then a long, long way to number five. Uh, and you have testified just because there are there are some good things on here. I, I love some of the melodies and uh, playing on here. The builds up after that, I would. Uh, it's a tough decision between both sides and dancing to the light because I really don't know dancing to the light. And I listened to both sides again recently, and I really didn't care for it. <laughs> so so, I for this I'd have to put fifth place. And then it, I still think it's way ahead of both sides and dancing to the light. Are either of you guys familiar with going back? Cause I've, I've never listened to it. Y yes. I, it's good. It's, it's, uh, it's a covers, it's a Motown right. covers album. And I think it's, if you go into it, listening to it for that, it's fun. And that's, so I, I wouldn't rank it for myself. I wouldn't include it in a ranking of Phil's albums just because it's so different. You know, it's almost not fair to include it on either way for good or ill. Um, my ranking is going to be a little different. Um, uh, my number one always has been and always will be Hello, I Must Be Going. That album to me is unassailable. It's, it's the perfect balance of poppy Phil, weird Phil, rocky Phil, 
ballad fill. It's 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 got everything you want from Phil Collins on that album. Um, this may be my second place album for Phil because thinking uh, about it, wow. while I think that, for example, both you know uh, face value and no jacket required i think have better songs on them that i enjoy more i think that just as a feel this album you know makes me feel cozy in a way that i just kind of enjoying in my 50 year life right now and so ask me in 10 years or if you would ask me 20 years or 10 years ago about this it might be very different but for right now this might be up there like if like number two or number three i think i think that no jacket required if i'm looking for a real up kind of party album and you know if i want to end with that take me home and have some some good stuff like that on there that might win number two but that's that's an album that has aged more than this one for mm -hmm. me this one feels a bit more even though it's 20 years old a bit more of the moment than than no chance required does so that's that's where i'm going to say and then then i think like i you know but seriously is is fine you know it's uh, what's the other one dancing to the light i would have to listen to that again because honestly i can maybe name one song on that on that album that's called dancing to the light that's the only say, one i could the name title gives you a hint yeah yeah exactly but but yeah and you know face value has I think as a bunch, as a collection of tracks, it's great. As an album, it, it doesn't, I've never had a big emotional connection to it. So it's just kind of a different thing for me. All right. This is really interesting. That, that ranking really surprised me, Mike. Um, and it makes surprised me, me too, honestly, <laughs> just as I was thinking about it. So. Uh, and it makes me feel better because I thought I was going to be going way out on a limb uh, on, <laughs> on part of my ranking. But um, Face Value is my favorite Phil Collins album. And I think this comes back to mm -hmm. um, sentimentality and, and um, you know, connections that we make because, um, you know, I, I got into Genesis with Duke uh, when it came out in 1980 face value, you know, it was just a year later. And that's when I was just, mm -hmm. you know, so excited about it. And I mean, obviously I still am, here we are talking <laughs> yeah. about testify, but I mean, <laughs> I was, you know, my whole life was about Genesis at that point. And, yeah. um, you know, so I, mean, I just, I have a lot of attachment to face value. I just do think it's, it's a great album. Uh, so that that's my favorite by, by a big margin. And then I would say after that is, but seriously, I really love that album. I think there's some of his best songs are, are on that album. And for me, this album and Hello, I Must Be Going, which for a long time was my favorite Phil Collins album, but I don't just, I don't feel like that's held up as well. And I feel like this is like neck and neck with that. Um, and I, and because this is so much fresher and newer to me, I would actually much rather sit down, listen to testify than, than Hello, I Must Be Going. But I think probably, you know, if I really sat down and listened to Hello, I Must Be Going again, I'd probably put that third, put this fourth. And mm -hmm. I've just never, ever, ever really liked No Jacket Required. So mm. um, I would probably put that at the back. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> in fact oh. I know what I would put both sides ahead of it because uh, the songs that are on both sides, I mean, um, Tom, I, you know, I'm sort of like you that initially I, I just could not get into both sides. But over time, I realized that the songs that are good on that are really, really good. Um, and I can't say that 
to the same extent about No Jacket Required. I like the last three tracks and really the rest of the album, I can kind of, you know, take it or leave it. I, well, I would, on our No Jacket Required, I think I we'd all made a note that it was sound dated. It's probably the most dated of his albums. But like you with Face Value, I was, uh, would have been 14 and 85. And that was how I got into it. My entrance was No Jacket Required. So that holds a place kind of like high up for me that like I put it on, it can take me back to that era and I will listen to it. And even though it's dated, I, I enjoy it. Whereas uh, for you, that was face value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and I've, and for me, if, if Phil continued to write and put out music, if he put out more songs like stuff on testify the good parts to testify and of course we could all argue over what those are that's i'd be happy with that i'd be curious to see what he would come out now as a 71 72 however old he is now he just had a birthday um i'd be if it was in this vein i'd be curious to hear that so it's i think it's a good album and Al, I'm actually really glad you liked it because I was my fear going into this was that you were going to say this didn't work for me at all. Oh, I and totally so expected that, it, that. Yeah. Well, that's and that's how that was so much when I first got it. I was just like, oh, I'm trying to get in this just to be a completist. It's it's not going to be that good, whatever. And or and and it and I was really surprised by it. And and it's and it holds up. And as I said at the beginning, I think I like it more. I like what I like about it more each time that I hear it. So, well, like I said, in a much more condensed timeline, I've had the the same experience with that. Um, but yeah, you know, just to come back to the very beginning, uh, what we talked about at the outset that you recommended this to me, and mm -hmm. um you know, your endorsement of it, you know, was maybe not the, the most robust, but I have to say, based on, you know, how you categorized your relationship with this album, I, I like it, you know, even more, I think maybe than, than you do. Um, I guess I, I, to me, it's on a par with flow must be going. And that's, you know, for me, that's, that's high praise. Excellent. Well, that's mission and accomplished, I, Mike. There we go. So we've, we've, <laughs> I'm going to put the banner up. The, well, it's funny when I put I, I put out on the Tabletop Genesis Twitter feed, I put a photo of this album out when I first listened to it for taking notes, I think this past weekend. And I was actually I was expecting a bunch of comments that were just like, oh, why are you listening to that crap type of thing? But I was actually surprised that I'd say, you know, 80 percent of the comments were positive. Like, oh, that's a good album. I like this song. I do this. And, you know, it's it surprised me pleasantly that we didn't get that that negativity, um, which, you know, we are we are a, um, you know, a gushing podcast at times. And so I'm happy to continue to gush about the albums that we like. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a fun thing. So you guys have the, the most awesome podcast. People should check it out. I will put uh, the information in the show notes for that, but people also should follow you both on Twitter. So uh, Mike, I know you are on Twitter and Instagram at, now is it pronounced Zornap? 
Zornap. The K is silent, so it's okay. uh, Z O R K N A P P. And there's there's an ancient internet story about that, which I won't bore you all with right now. So, but that's you can find if there's a Zornap online, it's most likely me, unless somebody's trying to take my 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 internet identity. So, so you need to get the blue check mark. Exactly. Claim it for yourself. <laughs> And right. Tom uh, on Twitter at Burning Fire Bush. Um, any place else <laughs> where people should be looking you up? Uh, just on Facebook, uh, Tabletop Genesis. We we try to put out uh, an episode about, about once a month, and just maybe post some funny or quirky things from time to time. Uh, so yeah, join us there. That's probably the the best place, along with our official Twitter feed. All right. Yeah. And, and the, and the Twitter, our Twitter for the podcast is, is Genesis tabletop because I think tabletop Genesis was taken when, uh, when we started this out, some gaming podcast was doing their, their thing, but you <laughs> know, dare they? I know, you know, with, we, we should have spent more than two minutes coming up with a name perhaps, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's where we're at right now. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's a good name, you know, you guys are the table toppers yeah. and, uh, you know, it works. It works on a lot of levels, which is fun. It's great. So it does. So uh, I am on both Twitter and Instagram. There's my main account on Twitter, uh, Al Melchior BB. And then you can follow the show, uh, both Twitter and Instagram at you, me album. And uh, I'll mention as I have been doing every week lately that yes, I am now also on Substack, uh, a weekly newsletter there, youmealbum.substack.com. There's a free version where you'll get one post a month, but if you want the, the whole deal and get a post every week and access uh, to some other goodies as well, uh, then there's a, a subscription plan that you can go check out there. And uh, if you do subscribe, by the way, with the, the paid subscription, that helps support this podcast. So I thank you all, uh, everybody, for um, for listening, for supporting this podcast, uh, table toppers, uh, listening out there. Thank you for, for listening. And, um, Mike and Tom, uh, thank you so much for, this is just a blast for me. You know, I will talk about Genesis anytime, anywhere. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys, uh, taking some time to do that with me here. Yeah. It's thanks been for real, having us. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure. So we appreciate it also. So thank you. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, I will be back again in uh, one more week with uh, another guest and uh, yet another album that will not be Genesis related. I can at least give you that much of a hint. But until then, everybody, please do take care and listen to some great music. back we hope you enjoyed that episode it was actually a lot of fun to talk with al about this because listening to the episode i was not sure i had not talked with al about about this previously to know if he actually liked the album and i was really hopeful concerned if he didn't like the album that it was going to be kind of a slog of a conversation <laughs> and it ended up being i think a really good conversation about this album that Again, isn't going to change our worlds, but it was better than we expected, hopefully. Yeah, there, there were some standouts, but 
and as I said, I after this episode that recorded with Al, I may have gone back to it once because it was in my car mm-hmm. and I put on CD to figure out oh, what's in here. And next thing you know, Swing Low comes through the speakers. And there are a couple good tracks, but overall it's one of those like you listen to it, there's a couple good moments, and then when it's gone, it's kind of gone from your memory. It's like it doesn't leave you humming something afterwards, unfortunately. Yeah. I found one or two of the tracks sticking in my head a little, sticking in my head a little bit more. Testify itself, uh, maybe come to me, uh, or come with me, whatever the title is, and the maybe a third song that was one of the ones that I just can't remember the title to. Kind of the little bits of melody would get stuck in my head here and there, but not not a lot. So it's still, I would still maintain that it's up there, that it is better than. It's than I expected it to be, and I would rank it still in that kind of top half of Phil albums. Um, more memorable to me than anything on Dance Into the Light, which besides, again, Dance Into the Light, True. I can't think of anything <laughs> with that. But, um, but yeah, so I think that overall it was pretty positive. One thing we didn't talk about on Al's podcast were the B-sides for this, some of the bonus tracks, and there were four of them. So, Tom, the titles are for the four tracks... High Flying Angel, Crystal Clear, Hey Now Sunshine, and TV Story. And if when Phil was doing his reissues, where he would redo the cover with the mo- yes. you know the most recent version of himself, mm-hmm. a lot of those reissues came with extra bonus tracks, live tracks, B sides. So if you purchase that, you you will have these. Right. Uh, if you didn't, which I don't, I only have that promotional. They, you know, obviously you can find them on YouTube or uh, somewhere else, but which is where I did. Uh, but it's this is kind of the restart <laughs> of our B side bros segment. B side bros. B side bros. <laughs> where where we have not told each other what we think of these, and no. we'll kind of give a thumbs up, thumbs down as we go through these four. Uh, the first one, if I'll start, is High Flying Angel. Are we giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down? I, I would. I would give a thumbs in the middle. It was the most demo-ish of these four to me. It didn't feel complete. So, you know, I I did think it had a nice build of kind of the drums kind of being added to each verse and things like that. But it didn't, it's, I totally get why it's a B-side. So <laughs> it was not, it just didn't feel finished to me more than anything else. So if, if that's the... If that's the kind of memory that I have of it, I would be a thumbs down because I don't think it really goes anywhere. But I think if it had been worked on more, maybe it could have been better. So who knows? I, I was going more of towards a thumbs up on All this right. one. It did have a little bit of a Tarzan feel to it. Mm, okay. Uh, I would have put it on the album because I think it would have given it the album itself a little bit more diversity. Okay. Like, there's, there's a lot of the sameness, and this was a little bit more into left field and it would have kind of stirred things up a little bit for the album i did like the drum sounds as well and towards the end it almost sounds like timpani like the way Mm, he's really getting into it in that build-up which some a lot of the songs didn't have that build-up so i I would give more towards the thumbs up on this all right fair enough so yeah i think that i would just want it to be a little bit more finished in my mind and whatever that's whatever that is it did feel less demo-ish as it went along, but I think just worked on that start of it a little bit more. So, anyway, so the next one is Crystal Clear. <laughs> I, again, I put more Tarzan. Okay. I, 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 
give Phil credit. Oscar-winning song, You'll Be In My Heart. He said what he needed to say perfectly with that song. Another song for like Crystal Clear with the Don't Cry, I'll Protect You, I'm Always Here For You, I'll Be There, you know, I've Got My Hand On Your Shoulder. It's like, okay, we get it. Like, so I, I was kind of like, the second I started going to those lyrics, I'm like, I've heard this before. and Been there, and he, done that. I... One positive, I did kind of like the jangly guitar work, kind of like a little bit of birds-ish okay. kind of in the middle. But then he used that keyboard harmonica sound at one point, which I, kn- I knew that was going to be your comment about this. Which is very prevalent, yeah. and it's even in the next B-side. So I was like... There's I, even a solo with it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I'm like... And I'm not even like going to go there where like if they're going to sound like a harmonica, do a harmonica. I'm just like, he's used this too many times even on this album before this and I think on both sides is that album uh, it just no it didn't really do it yeah it's totally a b-side you know my notes were basically I thought the kind of folky feel to it was was interesting again a little different than other things that he's done the fake harmonica really killed it for me <laughs> especially that it had a was kind of featured in a solo I was like uh, no it's like again get Get either learn to do something yourself with it or have somebody in to play the harmonica. Uh, I thought the lyrics were decent, but it just didn't go anywhere. It just was kind of like it was, it was there. It was there, and it's. I listened to it this morning, and I honestly, besides the harmonica bit, I couldn't really remember anything <laughs> about it. So, thumbs down on my part. Right, yeah. So, hey now, sunshine. Uh, I thought, as you mentioned, the guitar being a little bit kind of birdsy, folksy. I thought this was a bit Genesis-y, a bit Mike Rutherford-ish in mm. the guitar, much like one of the tracks on "Testify Proper." You mentioned that it had that kind of feel to it. I thought that this had that same kind of like, oh, this almost sounds like Mike Rutherford at the start of things here. So I thought that was kind of fun. I thought the chorus was good. It sounded to me of the three that we've heard so far like the most complete song. Um, so overall, I mean, for me, thumbs up, but not not way up. Just kind of like, oh yeah, this is this is had potential to be something bigger, I think, but wasn't fantastic. I, middle of the road for my yeah. for my thumb. I, I did have, it was a catchy chorus, uh, which I liked. Uh, I didn't care for the instrumental, the more keyboard harmonica stuff. Mm-hmm. I wrote lyrics question mark on my notes. I'm not sure if that, that means I meant to go look up more about the lyrics <laughs> right. or that I found them questionable in of themselves. Uh, yeah, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's fine. I think that the chorus, like you said, was solid. I can see why it's not on the album. So so thumbs up as a B side. If it was on the album, I think we'd be a little bit more dismissive yeah. of it probably. And then TV Story is the final of the four B-sides. What's your chuckling about with uh, this? I don't know. I, it's just like something about it was just, I don't know if it was too simple. We're a family. We don't talk to each other. But then we got rid of electronics, and now we're a good family again, and we can dis, you know discover each other again. Yeah, it was okay. Uh, I. It definitely stood out for me as having like, a story from start to finish sure but it the b-side for sure i i think this was the best of the four actually oh, so it was but it was also a b-side you know it was like i think that it sounded a bit it had the vibe of a song on hello i must be going kind of 
you know, a bit of the, and on my life, like, I forget the title of the song, but it was just, it, it felt a little too similar to Hello, I Must Be Going track, which mm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but, but I liked that it, again, told a kind of a, a story song, which I enjoyed. I thought the megaphone bits at the end were a little bit much. <laughs> I, I couldn't understand really what they were saying, but Neither could I, I, I think it's a rule yeah. that any band or solo person who has ever been involved in a progressive rock deck has to have at least <laughs> one song where a megaphone is used or some kind of voice modulating thing, which makes you sound like you're shouting to a crowd. So yeah, exactly. at least you got it in somewhere. Right. Uh, I, I jokingly put a note that it was because it involved television. I said, oh, it's like Phil's Blood on the Rooftops version. Uh-huh. So uh, much more of a story song than kind of how Steve's lyrics for Blood on the Rooftops were a bit more oblique. Still about television, but in a different way. But yeah, it was, it was fine. But it was still, of these, I'd say thumbs up. And I enjoyed it. But yeah, B-side. Totally get why it's a B-side. So All right. well, I think we're... Mostly simpatico on those. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Overall, so no, no, no major differences there. None of them engendered any strong passion one way or the other. Of oh, this definitely should have been on the album, um, but none of them were horrible either. It was just like yeah, they're B sides. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So with that, we now have some viewer mail, listener mail. <laughs> So we did get, uh, you know, a few comments from people once we put out the poll for Testify. So we'll go through some of those in no particular order. Jason Uretsky wrote, no favorite track. This was the first Phil Collins album I didn't buy or listen to. The music got so sappy, I just couldn't do it. Dancing to the Light was his last good album, in my opinion. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I might have to at least revisit Dance into the Light as an album because, again, that's that's a blank slate to me. So <laughs> it's it would be interesting to hear it kind of, again, now 25 or so years on, more than that, maybe, and and see how it is. But yeah, I, I see where he's coming from. I don't know. It, it, I, I would hope that, Jason, if you listen to it, listen to it again, the sappiness might be different because something we talked about with Al was that the... Again, 20 years ago, if I heard this album for the first time, I don't think I would have liked it. Now being an older dude, yeah, <laughs> it, it hits me in a different way. So it might be, it might hit Jason or others in a different way too. So, or if you still don't like it, Jason, that's totally fine. So we're not, we're not going to judge you here. So uh, Matt Caney says this album has some good songs on it, but does not flow well as an album. If you put tracks from it in a playlist, then many hold their own, but for some reason, start with track one and hit play. It lacks something. I love Wake Up Call, Come With Me, It's Not Too Late, Least You Can Do, and the title track. Which I could see that. If it's like snuck into another playlist mm-hmm. with other songs that are have more dynamics and yeah. feel goody and, and up, and you can, it's not as bad, but when yeah. it's one after the other, that, it's a little much. And, and Matt's comment mimics our comment where we said that it it really wasn't great. It was poorly sequenced as an album. Yeah. So I think that that's something that's consistent. Of the songs that he listed, it was funny, as you read them off, 
all of them except the least you can do as soon as i heard the title i could i could hear a little bit of it in my head mm-hmm. so i was like oh yeah it's like some of these songs are sticking around a little bit longer now too so it's nice to hear bill malonides says while ordinarily i would say that the worst phil collins album is better than the best album for most <laughs> anyone else this is the exception to that rule this album is nearly unlistenable I did push through it yesterday only to find maybe two or three decent songs, but clearly the best song is the cover of the Leo, Leo Sayer classic, Can't Stop Loving You. Some of the song sounds like the repetitive stuff my kids make up in the backseat. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. Did he write the Wikipedia entry for this? He <laughs> for might this? have. He might have. <laughs> that's, again, I, I, am not, I am not that harsh about it, but I understand where people are coming from who don't enjoy this album. Like, I get it. It's just... Of people who are Genesis fans and Phil fans, I think that I can get that this might not give you what you're used to getting from Phil, both in production-wise, in the songwriting. It's it's a different beast than his other albums. So I do wish that he had continued putting out original albums after this. I think it would have been interesting to see what he would have done besides the, the covers album, the Motown album. But, you know, alternate history for Phil. So with that, we're now going to segue into Tom's poll. Tom shows you his poll. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, it's kind of my poll was uh, <laughs> predictable. Mm. Uh, a couple ties, starting with the last place. The bottom two with zero votes were this love, this heart, and mm. you touch my heart. Both heart related. <laughs> then with only one point, with only one vote, Swing Low, Drive Me Crazy, and Through My Eyes. So mm. between those five songs, they only got three votes. And right. I was a little surprised at Swing Low because we did kind of point that out as kind of an anomaly. It has a different sound than we're used right. to with Phil. It had that sort of rapish kind of beat at, at right. the beginning. Uh, so I figured at least from people who listen to this, that might rate a little higher, but yeah. So, and percentage-wise, I assume that one vote is under probably... Under 2%. Two, under 2%, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. But with those, I'm, honestly, I couldn't tell you what driving me crazy through my eyes, this love, this heart, you touch my heart. I couldn't... Right. With driving gun, me gun crazy head, is the upbeat one. I remember that. <laughs> I think so. Upbeat, but with lyrics that aren't yeah. upbeat. Right. All right. Then we get into a little bit higher in seventh place with two votes and only 3.5%. It's not too late. Okay. Could you, could you hum a little bit of that for It's me, not Mark? too late. No. It's not. Like, that's the bit that I kind of remember from it. But yeah, that's that's about it, though. That's about that's, it. Yeah. Then sixth place with three votes and 5% was Don't Get Me Started. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm thinking, I'm staring off into space here. Don't Get Me Started. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't remember that one offhand. All right, we're in the top five, okay. all different vote getters. Uh, number five, and I was a little disappointed that it was so low, was Come With Me. Right, with Six sure. votes and 10%. All right. I think that's a great song. Just a perfect little lullaby. And I know I did say previously that I don't like the I'm protecting you, I'm watching over you. But for some reason, this song, it's okay. I'll give this one a pass because right. it's got a good... Yeah, I'm look. surprised it's not higher either. Yeah. I think that as you made the comment, and I think... Uh, some people online even said like, oh, you know, as a parent, this song means a bit more type of thing. So, um, yeah, maybe we just didn't get the parents voting this time. So, Number four, Wake Up Call. 
with okay. seven votes and 12%. Those are the people who listened to the first track and then <laughs> stopped after that. They so. stopped after that. They listened to that and they yeah. knew the one from the radio. Right. Uh, the top three, number three, the least you can do with eight votes and 14%. That's, I, it's, it's, I know it's a title. <laughs> I know those words appear yes, on the, the track yeah, listing of this album. Right, but I, it's not jumping out at me melodically or as, as something. As soon as I hear it, I'd be like, oh yeah, that one. But it's just not jumping out to me by memory. No. So that means the top two are, so either Silver is going to be Testify or Can't Stop Loving You at this it's stage. Testify. All right. Uh, with nine votes and 15%. It's and, what I voted for. And the top one with more than anyone doubled is 19 votes with Can't Stop Loving You and third of the votes. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. You know, that again, I think that if, if people heard anything from this album, that was it. That was and it. so this was definitely kind of a, a lower vote getter than than the other things we put out there. We also kind of, you know, put it out relatively quickly and didn't have a long voting period for this. So people might not have voted as, as often, not voting repeatedly, <laughs> but not as many people ha- might have voted for this one. So Tom, your favorite track is? I'll stick with Come With Me. It All just right. really does something for me. And as, mm-hmm. as I mentioned in the out thing, I put it on a, a photo montage mm-hmm. reel for one of my uh, relatives right. during the growing up photos and it just it really can grab you if you see it in that context with baby photos of relatives and right. the, the soothing tones of phil collins talking about you know protecting <laughs> yeah, you and exactly be wrapped up in you know a blanket with phil somewhere so it's all very peaceful i would think to so, dream. yeah and testify for me continues to be this this track from the album and when you said that it was uh, that it was obvious before we recorded and we were chatting briefly, you said like, "Oh yeah, it's it's pretty clear that what the number one vote getter is." The first thing in my head was testify, but then I was like, "Oh yeah, can't stop loving you" is probably the top vote getter in yeah, my in my head, and that makes sense. Yeah, and but uh, but it also made sense to me that that of the original tracks on the album, the testify is the one that got the most votes too. So, um, so yeah, so great. Yeah. Well, there we have it. So I, we hope you enjoyed this little bonus episode or bonus episode with bonus content, we should say. <laughs> if you listen to Al's podcast already, this hopefully made it worth listening to again or fast forward through the middle bit and then hearing our chat at the top and ends of these things. If you want to seek out Al's podcast, again, it's called You, Me, and an Album. And you'd find that on, you know, wherever you find podcasts. And he's on Twitter with that account. You Me Album, I think, is just the the at signs yes. for that. We follow that account on our Twitter account. So if you want to follow it. And I know he has a newsletter that uh, goes out, too, that you can sign up for. So it's well worth listening to. I was a guest way back in the day on the second episode where we talked about John, a John Cale album, which I really love. And that Al, unfortunately, still hasn't quite developed a love for. So, but you can't like everything out there. No, and I'm I'm still going to try to put together a list, a handful of albums that I really love, and see if any of them Al hasn't heard of, and then hopefully explain it to him on his show and <laughs> why he should be a fan. Exactly. Of I think you'd be a great guest on that. Yeah. I think it'd be fun, you know, to kind of hear something because both, you know, I think that you can have a really good perspective on some of these albums that you love that he might just have has have escaped his notice at times. Exactly. So 
And it's like, and I think that Al's good about, like, he really does give these albums attention. He does give them a fair shot and everything. And so I was glad that he liked this album as much as he did. And I'll be curious to hear if there's anything that, you know, maybe when this, when our version of this album comes out, you know, a couple months now after recording it, it might even be a little bit if if the album has stayed with him at all. So so Al, if you're listening, comment on that too. Bring that up on Twitter. So spoiler alert, no, it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So that's uh, where we can kind of have that needle scratch rip uh, thing, kind of an arrested development type of thing. It didn't change. But so I think that's the end of the episode here. So we'll be back coming up with some more album chat. And some more special episodes and things along those lines. More guests, more polls, more everything you love. Exactly. So so this is Mike. And this is Tom. And we'll be back next time with more Tabletop Genesis. So
Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have the shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis, and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast, or send us questions we can address on future episodes. That's right, because then we would do the poll and then say our favorites. Yes. After. Okay. Yep. All right.